Will your body look the same when you die? Well, your body decomposes. Pretty soon it won't be looking the same, but that's really neither here nor there. Just because you're not in that body doesn't mean that you don't have a body. The same body that near-death experiences and the Bible and all kinds of religious traditions say that we continue to operate in. We're going to tell you all about it here. And while we're in the neighborhood, can we just look at the beauty is good stereotype? Get that sorted out. And from everything, look at this question that could seem obscure, but is actually fundamental. If we live forever, what is the nature of the thing we live in? And what makes this spiritual body look like it does? Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborgian Life. Today we're discussing whether or not our body will look the same after we die. And I want to start with the beauty is good stereotype. If you haven't heard of it, the beauty is good stereotype refers to the assumption that attractive people possess sociably desirable personalities and higher moral standards. But that's not true. It's not true. You were in high school. It doesn't, if you, if you look good, it actually makes it harder to be nice to people. And those of us who aren't that good looking, we can be mean as well. This doesn't dictate anything. But why is that there in the first place? Why do we link that almost instinctively? There's some debate as to just how prevalent this phenomenon is, but it does seem like there is a primal uh, urge or will for us to connect what's beautiful and what's good. You think about the way we want the protagonists in our movies to look. Why? Well, it could be that even though we can show that this isn't necessarily true physically, it is true spiritually. We can see this a little bit when we interact with that spiritual part of us that's called consciousness. You can certainly talk about somebody being a beautiful person and you're really describing the kind of motives they have, the, the niceness that they express and the, the, the nobleness of their deeds. You can say, look, oh, that, that was such a beautiful action that you took. And in the spiritual world, that's really literal. The stuff that would be inner beauty to us, there manifests as physical appearance. So if we're in this world cultivating a love for everything that's good and true, in the afterlife, we can actually get a major appearance upgrade. Swedenborg wrote, it does need to be known that our human form is lovelier after death to the extent that we have more deeply loved divine truths and have lived by them. Since our deeper levels are opened and formed according to both our love of these truths and our life. So the deeper the affection and the more it accords with heaven, the lovelier the face. Because everything has meaning there. So your face is actually a picture of your affection. This is why the angels who are in the inmost heaven are the loveliest, because they are forms of heavenly love. So that's how they do it. That's how they stay so good looking, because there it matches. You think that this, this beauty is not just an arbitrary physical construct. This is an expression of the kind of motives you have and the intent that person has towards you. So rolled up into all of that is this idea that we still have a form after death. And we still have a human form that can be more beautiful in the same ways that these ones can be here. And Swedenborg wrote that people from our planet have a hard time dealing with this. People from our planet cannot conceive of the idea that we come into the other life immediately after death and then look like people with faces, bodies, arms, legs, and all our outer and inner senses, let alone that we wear clothes and have houses and homes. 
I don't know if we've overall progressed a little bit from this, where more people think of the afterlife like this life, but in his day, and certainly for a lot of us now, it just seems like, oh, life after death, you're some kind of whisper or something. The sole reason for this is that most people on our planet base their thinking on their physical senses and therefore do not believe anything exists that they are unable to see or touch. So if we get too materialistic, we don't think there's anything other than material. Few of them can be lifted up from their outer senses to their inner ones and thus be raised into the light of heaven, in which we become aware of things like this. As a result, they are incapable of having any concept of their soul or spirit as human, only a concept of something like a formless breeze or air or breath that nevertheless has some life in it. And this is a crucial distinction that Swedenborg makes is that you can't just have life in something that doesn't have a form. Everything physical, the form dictates the function. We talk about the brain housing consciousness. Well, it does so through all kinds of complexity in the way that the neurons are stacked and that they connect and all this, the impulses, and you can tell I'm not a neuroscientist, but the point is you've got to have function to have form. So there, to have spiritual life, you've got to have a form that can be receptive, and it's this human form there as well. We actually have a spiritual analog to this physical body that we have, and they're both human. But a critical distinction is we see humans and we don't see spirits. Right? Well, maybe not in our day-to-day life, but there actually is a way to see the spiritual side of people. And Swedenborg actually experienced this for himself. One of the astounding things to Swedenborg when he went into the spiritual world was to discover that contrary to the rumors that he'd always heard all his life, angels were not a separately created race of genderless beings who don't eat human food and have never lived in this world. Angels were just what you might call ex-people, people who lived in this world, died and went on to that world. And the same with spirits. Spirits, angels, evil spirits, everybody up there just used to be human. Swedenborg says that that is the way that it is with all of them. And so, uh, they're absolutely in recognizably human, but the trick is that those two worlds are completely separate. So you have a separate physical world that we live in here. You have a separate spiritual world where the angels and spirits live. And actually, with our physical eyes, Swedenborg says, we are incapable of seeing angels and spirits. The only way to see angels and spirits is that, hello, we actually have a spiritual body too that scripture talks about now and then. And when we come into the awareness of those senses in our spiritual body, then we can sense other spiritual beings. We can see angels and spirits. And when we do so, they look exactly like people do in this world because that's what they are. Swedenborg talks about this in Heaven and Hell 76, saying that you can't see them with your physical eyes, but the Lord has the power to open our spiritual eyes whenever there's some useful point in doing so. And when our spiritual eyes are open, then angels look exactly like people to us because that's what they are. And interestingly, you see this reflected in the Bible. There are a lot of angels and stories of angel interactions with people in the Bible. And that main point that angels are human comes across again and again in these various different stories. So much so that often when angels appear, 
they're then, they're first of all referred to as an angel, then they're referred to as a human being, a man, a person, or whatever. Then it shifts back to calling them an angel. It flips back and forth, even in the text, kind of hinting at this condition of what angels and spirits are. So when you think of the angels in the Christmas story, uh, announcing the birth of the Lord, they appear uh, and they speak in human language, don't they? And they're all celebrating and, and praising God and all this and they're, they're communicating. They, you can tell they're angels because they have this knowledge of the future. They know what's gonna happen. But the way that they communicate is just the way a human being communicates with, with language. Abraham in the Old Testament in Genesis 18 and 19 had these three visitors who were angels. Again, they had knowledge of the future. They knew that they, Abraham was gonna have a child and so on with his wife, Sarah. Um, but they're described repeatedly in the text as three men. These three men do this, the three men do that. These angels are referred to repeatedly as men. A favorite of mine is this rather obscure story I didn't know about when I was growing up, which is in Judges 13 of a man named Manoah and his wife, whose name is unfortunately not recorded in the Bible. But she keeps seeing this angel and she goes and tells her husband that she saw this man. And the man uh, is somebody who Manoah really wants to see. And so he finally gets an opportunity to see this angel. And Manoah goes and asks the angel, are you the man who spoke to my wife? And you'll notice that the angel does not say, oh no, I'm a being, a separately created race. I'm genderless, you know. Uh, no, in answer to the question, are you the man who appeared to my wife? The angel says, yes, I am. And again, this angel has knowledge of the future, predicts a child that's gonna be born and all that. But uh, they have a meal together and only, so Manoah and his wife, their spiritual eyes were opened, obviously, when they're seeing all this. And only when they're eating the meal together, the angel ascends in the flame and disappears. And that's the first time that Manoah and his wife really, really get that this was an angel that they were talking to because he disappeared in this miraculous way. And there's lots of examples in the Bible. I'll just give you one more from the book of Revelation. John on the Isle of Patmos, who's living in this world, his spiritual eyes are opened and he's having these visions. And uh, toward the end of the book in chapter 19 and chapter 22, uh, John is so overwhelmed by the power of the message that he's hearing and this astonishing angel who's delivering all this to him, that he bows down before the angel. He just, he bows down. And the angel both times says, don't do that. I am your fellow servant. I'm just one of the brethren. You know, serve God. Like, hey, I I'm not divine. I'm a person just like you. Don't you be bowing down to me. I'm the same as you are. That's the message that John gets twice. Very, very interesting. So yes, in the Bible, you have these seraphim, you have crazy creatures that are covered in eyes and wings and, and, and strange things, you know, they have the head of an ox or, or whatever. Uh, those are representations. But when you actually see the inhabitants of heaven as they are in themselves, they're people. And when our spiritual eyes are open, we can see them just like you and me seeing each other. Well, that doesn't sound so bad, right? To get to see angels in that form but i feel like i feel like we do that people do that and people talk about having 
a dream where somebody who, who is dying or has died visits them and it feels like way more than a dream and they are convinced they've had some kind of visit. Or people who record near-death experiences or all these other spiritual experiences, they talk about meeting these angels or people that love them and are people, are human forms. So the, they, we see these beings in a human form, but our spirit is in the human form right now too. I mean, we've got an earth body and a spirit body and they're different, but the spirit is acting inside of our body right now. Swedenborg wrote, after death, we're in a complete human form. We are human because of our spirit, not because of our body. Our physical form is appended to the spirit in keeping with its form and not the other way around, since the spirit is clothed with a body that suits its form. And I always instinctively want to have it go the other way because you think about the body first because we're familiar with it and then we're introduced to this concept of the spirit at some point in your life and you think, oh, okay, there could be a spirit that's kind of crammed into the bodily envelope and so it's going to pick up that form. But it's, it's the other way around. The spirit is the human form and this body is kind of resting on that and that's why we are like we are and the spirit body is the actual you. The, the, this physical body is more just sort of the, the waiting room for us. Swedenborg writes, in our inner selves we are all spirits already, and that is what is alive in our bodies and in every detail of them. The body does not live on its own. For all of us, it is the spirit that gives the body its human form. We are primarily our spirit, and our spirit has a form similar to a body. And that, maybe that's not so novel, you hear that idea around, but what about that part in the middle where you said every detail, every detail, you think about the cellular makeup of the body, that there's a spiritual influence there as well. To me, that's a big deal. I mean, let, let's take a breath here and, and just reflect on this concept for a minute. It's amazing to think about what Swedenborg writes of how our spirit is the aliveness that we're experiencing in our body right now. Listen to this passage. Most people do not understand that spirits and angels have much keener sensation than people in the world. Keener sight, hearing, smell, taste, or its equivalent, whatever that means, and touch, and especially keener pleasure in their emotions. If only they believed their inner essence was their spirit. If only they believed that the body with its senses and limbs was adapted just to needs in this world, while the spirit with its senses and organs was adapted to needs in the next world, our spirit with senses and organs. Then, almost spontaneously, they would develop their own ideas about the state of their spirit after death. They would think to themselves, my spirit is the real me that thinks and has wishes, longings, and desires. So every sensation I experience in my body is actually felt by my spirit. My body feels it only through the influence of my spirit. This they would prove to themselves in many ways. In the end, they would find more pleasure in the faculties of their spirit than of their body. So let's try proving it for a minute. Even you can close your eyes and let's reflect on what Swedenborg is saying. Think about how the aliveness that's in your body right now is your spirit. So you're feeling your breathing and your heart rate. There might be energy or tingling in your limbs in various places. Your awareness is your spirit that is alive right now, living through your body. It's what's thinking, having thoughts, feeling different emotions, and that all of those senses are only gonna get more keen when you move on to the next life. 
And so when we reflect on our own inner experience, we are experiencing the reality of the spiritual world right now. And so when we cross over from this world to the next, the passage is a continuous one. It's not that we stop existing in one place and then wake up in the next. We really, it's really our spirit going through a transition. And so what we're feeling right now are the spiritual senses of our spiritual body. So we're experiencing the spiritual body right now, but we're also talking about this change where when we go into the afterlife, you stop looking like your physical body and start looking like your spiritual body. So what's that transition or progression actually like? Well, it moves in stages. And in the first stage, there's actually very little that's different. Swedenborg writes, after death, we enjoy every sense, memory, thought, and affection we had in the world. We leave nothing behind except our earthly body, and including appearance initially. Repeated experience has witnessed to me that when we move from the natural world into the spiritual, which happens when we die, we take with us everything that pertains to our character except our earthly body. In fact, when we enter the spiritual world or our life after death, we are in a body as we were in this world. There seems to be no difference since we do not feel or see any difference. This body is spiritual though, so it has been separated or purified from earthly matter. Further, when anything spiritual touches and sees something spiritual, it's just like something natural touching and seeing something natural. So when we become a spirit, we have no sense that we are not in the body we inhabited in the world and therefore do not realize that we have died. So by some process, it's even your appearance has kind of been molded into that shape. Everything is built, as you saw in our previous episode, for this continuity of experience. But then the trick of the spiritual world, where what's inside matters more than what's outside, we actually change to start to reflect what we really love and who we really are. And Swedenborg describes this when we first enter the world of spirits, which happens shortly after the reawakening just described. Our spirit has a similar face and tone of voice as it did in the world. And we didn't really think about, does my voice change after death? This is because at that point we are in the state of our external concerns with our deeper concerns not yet uncovered. So part of the reason we look like we used to is we think like we used to and we care about the same things that we used to. This is our initial state after decease. Later though, our faces change and become quite different. It comes to look like the ruling affection in which the deeper reaches of our minds were engaged in the world. So what was really driving you shows. The kind of affection characteristic of the spirit within our body because the face of our spirit is very different from the face of our body. We get our physical faces, face from our parents and our spiritual face from our affection which it images. So parents meaning genetics and, and what, what happens to you throughout your life. But here, the spiritual face comes from what we love. Our spirit takes on this face after our physical life is over, when the outer coverings have been removed. This is our third state. So not just the physical body covering, but the way of thinking that characterized our physical life as well. Some people get worried when we start talking about this kind of stuff. Am I going to be able to recognize the people that I love? Will they recognize me? From all accounts, that's no problem at all. Swedenborg talks about discuss or meeting up with everybody he had known in the life of the body who had died and gone to the other side. Never said he had trouble finding them. Love recognizes love. There are, there are ways for that to happen. But there is this change we go through. We become who we are. And actually, what's, what's interesting is that the rate can be different depending on what you're like. He actually says that hypocrites 
people who are really used to simulating affections actually take the longest to change because their insistence on trying to project something different outside than what they have inside actually slows down this process, which is this fascinating sort of quirk. So we not only come into a deeper representation of how we feel in the way that we look, but we also have more vivid sensation of everything. So Jelsey was describing looking within, how does it feel in your body right now? Well, because it's no longer the spirit kind of interacting with the body, it's all the spirit, we actually have a more vivid feeling and a live body. Uh, Swedenborg writes, as spirit people, we enjoy every outer and inner sense we enjoyed in the world. We see the way we used to, we hear the way, hear and talk the way we used to, we smell and taste and feel things when we touch them the way we used to, we want, wish, crave, think, ponder, are moved, love, and intend the way we used to. So we have the sensory experience, but also the mental and emotional experience. Studious types still read and write as before, just in case, don't worry, we're not going to take away your books. And a word, when we move from one life into the other, or from one, one world into the other, it is like moving from one physical place to another. Isn't that fascinating? Just like, you know, getting on a plane and, and, and going to Chicago. And we take with us everything we owned as persons to the point that it would be unfair to say that we have lost anything of our own after death, which is only a death of the earthly body. And it's so much of a continuation in the beginning that it's actually difficult for some people to even notice that there's been a change. So far as a person's sensory powers immediately after death are concerned, the position is this. As soon as he dies and the parts of the body grow cold, he is raised up into life, into a state which involves each of his sensory powers. At first, he is scarcely aware that he is not still in the body, for the experience of his senses leads him to think he is still in it. But when he notices that his sensory powers are keener than before, and especially when he starts to speak to other spirits, he realizes that he is in the next life and that the death of his body has been a continuation of the life of his spirit. I have spoken to two of my acquaintances on the very day they were to be buried, and to one who, through my eyes, beheld his own coffin and bier. Since he still possessed each of the senses he had in the world, he spoke to me about his burial service, even as I was taking part in the funeral procession. Regarding his body, he said that they were putting this away because he was alive. So some good news that I take away from that is that when we are freed from our body, it doesn't sound like we're missing anything. I mean, that spirit was pretty chill about it. Oh, yeah, they're just putting that away. I'm fine here. But that's not always the case. We don't feel that secure if we don't have this idea of having a spiritual body. There was in Swedenborg's day and still around this idea that you would need to come back into your physical body in order to have a life after death because we can't help but equate being able to live with having a body. How else do we, how else do we locomote places? How else do we sense things? We need to have a body to live. But Swedenborg talked to these spirits who had had that idea, and here's a little sense of just how, how weird that sounds once you realize you have a spiritual body. I've occasionally talked with spirits I had known when they were living in the world and have asked them whether they would like to put their earthly bodies on again, as they used to think would happen. Hey, okay, you ready? At the mere mention of the idea, they ran far into the distance, stunned with amazement that in the world they had harbored such thinking 
out of a blind and mindless faith. <laughs> so you do hear, though, in near-death experiences as well, there's some really great accounts of people who have had some kind of accident, their spirit's out of their body, they're free, they're happy, they're living, but then they do have to come back in because the body still serves a purpose and they're just not thrilled about that idea because we're not missing something. This re really is just the thing we're supposed to do is transition out of the body to leave it there. So, but if we're talking this whole time about this thing that's very much a big part of all of our lives coming up and we already have this spirit in a body and we're destined to become angels with that, if it's so involved in who we are in our trajectory, why, why would we even need to learn this? I don't need to tell you that you have a body. Why do we need to learn that we have a spirit? Shouldn't we just know it already? Well, actually, there might be a part of us that instinctually already believes this. There's a deep perception implanted in all of us that people in the afterlife, spirits and angels, are in the human form. And in Swedenborg's day, there were a lot of educated scholars who were talking about people in the afterlife as minds without forms. And since thought is not something you can see or touch when, when you're on Earth, uh, people assumed that people in the afterlife were just pure thought and they didn't have human form. They might be something more like a mist or a cloud. But that concept was coming from an earthly point of view, and we have the ability to have a point of view that's beyond the earthly physical sense. Because some, just because you can't sense something physically doesn't mean it doesn't exist, it just means it doesn't exist physically. There's a deeper point of view that we can all open up to, and Swedenborg writes about this. Angels have also told me that people of simple faith and heart are not caught up in this concept of angels, meaning that they're just a mist or something without a body, but have an image of them as people in heaven. This is because they have not let erudition snuff out the image implanted in them from heaven, and because they do not grasp anything unless it has some form. This is why the angels we see sculpted and painted in churches are invariably represented as human. As for this image implanted in them from heaven, angels tell me that it is something divine that flows into people who are intent on goodness of faith and life. It's interesting to me that even when the scholarly world was refuting the idea of spirits or angels in human form, that truth was flowing through into art nonetheless. And everyday people too can have this inner knowledge of a human form after death, as long as it hasn't been snuffed out by that scholarly sort of um, idea being presented to them. This inner knowing comes into play, especially when death becomes something very personal, like if somebody you love has died. So think about somebody that you love who's in the afterlife. And when you picture them, when your heart pictures them, are you thinking of them as uh, just some sort of mist or are you picturing their smile and the look in their eyes and how they would come over to you and give you a hug or be doing wonderful activities and fun things? So love for somebody really conjures up that inner heart knowledge that we all have, that there is a, a human form after death. And approaching your own death can also have this sense, this inner knowledge come into play, and Swedenborg writes about somebody who is approaching death. When they are lying sick in bed and not thinking as usual about worldly and bodily concerns, and therefore not thinking on the basis of their senses, 
Then they believe that they are going to continue living immediately after they die. At such times, they actually talk about heaven and their hope of a life there as soon as they die. So we all have this trust, this inner knowing, this, this inner sense that we will continue after death in a, a human form, a human experience, just as we've had a human experience on earth. So you got this. Somewhere deep inside of you and me acknowledges this idea that there's more to us and actually the us that's us is this indestructible, permanently improving, beautiful spiritual thing that makes us who we are. And I wonder if part of that reason why we're aware of it at a level is every time we do interact with each other, every time we're at the grocery store and we let somebody in the line in front of us, even though they should have gone around, but we see that they're, they're in a situation where they need it and that kind of thing. It's a spirit. It's our spirit recognizing their spirit and our shared humanity and that shared experience that we have very much a side of us that, that is a little bit above it and just can, can perceive a little bit beyond what's physical. So just think about that. Every time you walk by somebody, every time you high-five somebody, you're high-fiving their spirit as well. So we're all going to end up with this awesome, intact spiritual body on the other side, but spiritual bodies are for living. Any body is geared towards Look at the thing. It's all about being able to do stuff and get places and accomplish things. So the next episode, we take the logical next step. We know we've got a body after we die, but what about life? What does our body do? Join us next time where we'll be looking at, will life be different when you die? We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high quality programming. Any gift you give joins you to the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. You can deepen the significance of your gift by making it in memory or honor of someone special in your life. This could be done as a one-time gift, recurring monthly, or run as a special fundraiser for your circle of friends and family. Go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to make a gift in whatever way is most meaningful for you. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins.